Today's show was brought to you by IBM. By the end of this podcast, nearly 10,000 new malware variants will have launched. Now AI can help you protect your data for threats wherever they live with IBM security. Let's put smart to work. Learn more at ibm.com slash smart. This is Recode Media with Peter Kafka. That's me. I am part of the Vox Media Podcast Network. I'm here at Vox Media headquarters in New York City. Before we start this special episode of Recode Media, one quick request. Yes. One quick request. If you like it, if you like hearing Lee Cohen in the background, tell someone else about it. That's all we ask. Okay. That no, was, tell a few people. How many, how many people should? This is Lear Cohen, king of promotion, among other things. I, I, you're underselling yourself, Peter. You have a great podcast. Everybody loves it. So um, sell it harder. So at least bring, t- you know, a dozen friends. Do yourself a favor and turn on to Peter Kafka podcasts. How do you how do you recode media with recode media? Why you have to hide behind recode media? You're the star. I like this show. It's getting better already. Lear Cohen, music legend, hip hop legend, record legend, global head of music at YouTube. Do we have your title right? Well, yes. And you are here today for a special episode because you guys are rolling something out that we've been hearing about for a while. It is called. Now you can YouTube sell YouTube music. Come on, sell it harder than that. YouTube music. Which is? Is a critical new um, subscription service that helps bring diversity to distribution. And it's a very, very, very beautiful product that we're very, very proud of. Background is YouTube is the world's biggest video service, world's second biggest search service, um, world's biggest music music is consumed. And forever, or since 2006, you've been able to listen to music for free on YouTube, ad-supported. Last couple of years, you guys started a subscription service. We can debate how big or little it is, but it hasn't really taken off. And you guys are pushing again to make a more comprehensive, more popular subscription service, which you're rolling out today. Am I summing that up accurately? I think so. Good. You don't, you don't seem enthused, Lior. I'm very excited about it, Peter. <laughs> I'm just worried about every question you have to ask me. Uh, I've, I've never seen Lior Cohen nervous around me. This is an, an odd thing. Um, where, do you, where do you want to start? Where do you start with frustrate start? and seduce? Well, wherever you want to start. Whatever is good for you, Peter. Um, so you, you were at South by Southwest in March. You were sort of previewing the service. You said, we're going to frustrate and seduce people into using this service. Because, again, you can use YouTube for free. Most people do. Um, we were talking about this off-air. Off 89 million people in counting have watched the Childish Gambino video for free. It's great. Did you like the video, Peter? I've seen it six or seven times. It's amazing. Did you tell your friends, a dozen friends, about it? Yeah, I tweeted about it. I put it in a newsletter. I think it's a very exciting thing. I think it's more than exciting. I think it's an amazing piece of art and a great conversation piece. Have you had conversation around that video with your friends? I mean, your swanky friends in the Upper East Side? I don't have any of those friends. No? No. No. Deep Brooklyn. Um, But what 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 I've said is you should watch it and then we'll talk about it. And they do. And they call you back, or yeah. do they? Yeah, they go. What do you? What do you think they meant there? And they, actually, what I do is then we send articles to each other. We say, "Well, look at this article that explains mm-hmm. this video." Right. And so, what was your view of that video? What was significant about that video to you? 
there is no way to watch that video and go, oh, that was an interesting piece of entertainment and then not think about it. You had you had made you confront something and you had to decide mm-hmm. what you're confronting and you mm-hmm. say, well, what, 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 first of all, what is Donald Glover trying to tell me here? And, and, and do you believe that... In a way that most popular culture sort of doesn't confront you these days. I think that's very true. So do you think that many people have different things that they're confronting? And if that's the case, what is it that you confronted? I had to confront how I thought about entertainment, right? It was something that the way I often think about entertainment is I have an hour between my kids going to bed and I'm going to go to bed or whatever else I need to accomplish that night. I want to watch something, generally not listen to something. And I want it to be interesting, but not too difficult because I don't have that many brain cells I want to use. And that's, that's often the way I think about entertainment these days. Um, I'm assuming it's the way lots of people think about entertainment. And Donald Glover is saying, you can do that, but I want you to think about other stuff at the same time. So would you suggest that people are starved for things that make them think? And maybe they're on autopilot and getting into the seduction of lazy media consumption? Yeah, but I don't think that's I don't think that's new. But yeah, I think that's. I mean, mm-hmm. there's a great book by David Foster Wallace, Infinite Jest, which mm-hmm. is a lot about that. Um, it's also made me think, and, I, and this is not an unusual thought, that we've been waiting since Donald Trump was elected to see interesting reactions to that election. Yes. Um, I don't know that this is explicitly about the Trump era. Mm-hmm. You could argue that it's about just modern society. Mm-hmm. Um, but it seemed like one of the first times we had to go. All right, we're gonna we're gonna stop and look around the world and have a conversation. All I could say to you is I'm so honored to be working with uh, Childish Gambino, so honored to be working with RCA and Sony and his managers and collaborating and working together. And the fact that an artist was able to also not go on autopilot because the creation of videos oftentimes is on autopilot. Uh, Obviously, there was an enormous amount of effort, cinematography. There was a craftsmanship. Choreography. Choreography. I applaud him, and I challenge others to understand that video is really powerful media. So to bring it back, that's a video that I've seen multiple times for free. Um, whether why I'm watching, do, why do you suggest it's for free as well, opposed to? I, I didn't to, pay for it. Well, you paid with your eyeballs. Yeah, you know. I, well, first I, of all, I, actually, there's no there's no ads against that one. Specifically. I, I believe no, there were ads. Um, I believe that people characterize free, and I like characterizing that you're paying with your eyeballs. And I think that YouTube is a place that can do both that you could pay with your eyeballs, and there are people that would love to um, um, buy a subscription. And so I think we should give the consumer some choice and allow them to decide whether they want a subscription or whether they want to pay with their eyeballs. So let's, let's, like, let's, just, let's start this way. So if I but, decide to but pay— just one, yeah, go on. one, one last thought. Um, like all mature media businesses— they are both engines are working, ad-supported and subscription. And there shouldn't, there, there's no reason why the music business 
shouldn't have both this and is, enjoy both. This is a relatively new idea for Google, right? Google, giant, giant ad-supported business. I can't, only recently I can't got speak for what was new or old ideas for Google. I'm just a simple music person. And what I know, having worked closely with the labels and the artist community, the managers, they would like to get in an, a plane that has two engines, one that is ad-supported and the other that is subscription. We're going to weave around, which is good. If I pay you 10 bucks a month for YouTube music, what am I getting that I'm not getting, I would say, for free? You would say by paying for my Well, I think uh, I, I actually have the real head of music here, TJ. He should come up, grab the microphone. Come on, TJ. TJ, you want to jump in? Mic Grab going, that guys? microphone, TJ. Okay, let's go, TJ. Welcome, TJ. Hey, the head of music sure. for so just YouTube. A, yeah. So, as a basic level, you just get features that uh, allow you to remove ads. Lear's all pleased with himself. <laughs> First of all, you get an ad-free experience. Yep. The second is you have the ability to make, take your music portable with you by making things available um, offline without network access. And you also are able to multitask, so be able to play music in the background um, or be able to close the app and have music continue. And, and those are all features I had available to me before, right? This is a new version of, of in terms of the offer, the offer right. is the same. So this is an evolution. Those are just the basic features. Um, the parts that are actually changing pretty significantly is that um, we're investing a lot into assistive experiences. So basically the app adapts to where you're listening to music. It starts to begin to understand your habits, the types of music that you listen to in the morning, the types of music that you listen to in the evening, music that's appropriate for commuting and those kinds of things. Google's big hey, brain hey, Peter, says, yeah, yeah. Peter, let me put it to you this way. Yeah. I'm sure you have date night. Yeah. Would you like to make sure that when you have date night, Barry White shows up quick? Al or Green. do you want to fumble around with your phone trying to find Barry White? Okay? I mean, just imagine when you brought your wife back home and that the living room was all dim, the, the candles were up, everything was ready for you. That's what we're talking about. We're talking about understanding that you have date night and so Barry White should show up when you have date night. And, but, Does but, that help? Is that helpful to you? I think so. Do you want me to start singing some Barry White tunes no. just to refresh well, your memory? No, 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 I'm, I'm familiar with Mr. White. Okay. Um, I'm, I'm getting my head around the idea whether I want Google figuring out that I'm having date night or whether I want to tell Google, hey, I'm having date night. Could you get me some Okay, music? We'll, t we'll take it any way you want to give it to us. We want to be helpful to you. In fact, when you go to the West Coast to meet all your shishi friends yeah. in Silicon Valley, don't you want us to know that you're about to get on a seven-hour flight and yep. cash your favorite music? Helpful. Instead of the stewardess saying... Go on airplay mode, and then you're hitting yourself on the head and saying, oh, my God, I, I, I forgot to um, load some music up. Yeah. Okay. Uh, we're, you know, we're trying to be helpful here. So are we good, TJ? Have we, have we run through the features? Yes. And we yeah. also, I mean, the other thing that, uh, that I think is different is that we're really, really showcasing the official audio catalog. Um, we're known for video. We're known for premium music videos. We're known for great UGC. But we've built this app so that it's really, really... Um, supporting that use case of listening uh, in addition to and, watching. And in standard Google fashion, um, pre-Lior, 
um, there were two competing music services. There was a YouTube music service and a Google Play music service. And basically, they're going to get merged into this one thing, not overnight, but over time. That's right. Um, it's our intent to have a singular music experience going forward. And so as the consumer, I just need to think, all right, do I want to spend my money on a service that has all the music I want plus a bunch of videos that I want? Or do I want a version of that from Apple or Spotify? They're all sort of similar experiences, different bells and whistles, but they're all about $10 a month. They all offer me basically unlimited music. I can bring it on or offline. Am I summing that up? Yeah, I think, I mean, you're, what you're talking about is the table stakes. I think yeah. that YouTube music goes far beyond that because not only do we just have some videos, um, we have an amazing collection of music that expands beyond the official release stuff. We have covers, we have derivative works, we have remixes, we yeah. have the behind-the-music kind of non-music uh, content, like the interviews that happen on the couch with Fallon or, um, you know, the, the documentaries. It goes far, far beyond just um, bells and whistles. Good. So what I always say when I'm writing about an app or something like an app, I say, well, I could talk some more about it, but why don't you just go look at it? So you can stop this podcast now and go check out the app, um, come back whenever you want, or you can listen to this whole conversation, check it out, and you'll get the full arrange, full array of services. It's rolling out in some countries today and then more over time. That's right. Okay, good. How do you do? I, I th I'm incredibly impressed with his voice. I think he was a DJ in college. I'm putting my money on that. Is that correct? Uh, I did do some radio, yes. You see, I knew it. Pro. It, it sounds like it. <laughs> Thank you, TJ. You're off the hook now. Thank you. Um, let's talk about the industry a little bit. Yes, sir. Uh, this, is, this is a— you came, Which industry? The music industry. <laughs> you came from it. Um, your brief bio is that you started off managing uh, early hip-hop acts, all the great ones that blew my mind when I was a kid. Run DMC, LL Cool J, Beastie, Beastie Boys. Boys uh, moved up into what was then Def Jam Records. That's accurate. Um, then that eventually became part of Universal Remember, Music. the management company was before Def Jam. Yep. Rush preceded Def Jam recordings for those that actually know, you know. There's great footage of you bum-rushing LL Cool J on and off a stage. I saw, I remember that. That's Where, great. Uh, in London? Um, it was, it was, there was a ABC, like, Nightline, like, Learn about hip hop with Lior. That's the one. Really? Yeah, yeah, oh, okay. yeah. It's okay. great. Um, and, and, and then you became a record label executive. First at Universal, then Warner Music. Then you went off and you left Warner Music, started your own thing called 300. And then a couple years ago, got hired by YouTube, surprising just about everyone in the music business. Mm -hmm. And the, the, the conventional wisdom was what is YouTube doing hiring Lior Cohen, who had many times had been an active critic? Um, or more so, of, of YouTube and technology companies to work at a technology company. Right, so I've, I've got all that right. You're making statements. Are yeah. you asking the question yeah, or yeah, what? Yeah. So f here's a question. Why did you go to YouTube? I wanted to bring, help bring diversity to distribution. It was my greatest fear. If distribution is highly consolidated, the distribution companies will capture all the money. You're making it won't be good for the artist community. This is a gift I'm giving to the industry that I love so much. This is an industry I live the way I live because of rap music. And it's a gift. I couldn't tell you what I would be doing if it wasn't for my parents encouraging me to come to New York in 1983. I couldn't tell you what I would be doing. But this industry has been so good to me, I was frightened that we could wake up and be controlled by distribution. And I wanted to bring diversity to it. 
And I didn't understand why the world's biggest platform where music is consumed couldn't have intimate and reliable um, and working relations with the creative community and the labels. And I wanted to try to put together connective tissue. I'm assu- did YouTube come to you and say, would you like this job? Did yeah, you and, I, and I wasn't interested when they came to me. What was the initial pitch? Um, the initial pitch um, was, hey, um, music is too important of a category. I like for you to help surface some very good candidates to take the job. And so, and this is Apple had Jimmy Iovine is sort of their their emissary to the the music business. Spotify had hired Troy Carter, and the idea was we want to hire someone like that. Can you help us find one? They 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 didn't refer to Jimmy or or Troy, but they said that music is too big of a category, and they need someone to wake up every day thinking about that vertical for them. And so I surfaced a couple of really great candidates that they loved. And then one day I got a phone call saying, we love them, but we actually want you to do it. And were you dealing with Susan Wojcicki or someone? Who were you dealing with at YouTube? I was dealing with Robert Kinsel. Kinsel. So, and Kinsel, by YouTube standards, is their entertainment guy. By he's most a big standards. Boss. But, but by most standards, bosses. he'd be like kind of a nerdy engineering type. By YouTube standards, he's their Hollywood guy. I don't find him Hollywood at all. Yeah. I, I think he's an incredible, um, dynamic media executive. And you were running a label, which presumably you liked doing. Loved it. Loved it. So to get Gun you to, off safety. So to get you to leave that alone, they had to do what? Uh, it wasn't about them. It was about my partner coming to me and said, listen, you know you've been talking about what makes you concerned about the industry. You've already de-risked 300. If there's ever a time for you to go be helpful to this industry that you love, um, do it now. And so... I, that's what I'm doing. When you get to YouTube, you, what are you expecting to see when you walk in the door? I wasn't expecting to see anything. I, you know, I, I try not to have preconceived notions. And when I got there, there are many surprises. One is that the company is littered with people who absolutely love music. Two is all the music people that um, are involved in YouTube were deeply, deeply concerned why they weren't considered as a um, net contributor. And they thought they were doing the right thing. Of course they're doing the right thing. They thought that by creating a ad-supported business was not only um, helping kill piracy, but was also... um, supporting what most media companies end up becoming, and that is both ad-supported and subscription-supported. So two engines. So they were actually tackling one of the most difficult parts of the business, and that is, you know, creating a massive platform that kids all over the world, um, Susan mentioned at Brandcast, that, there's a billion, 800 million logged in per month. 1.8 billion users. 1.8 billion. And they're working on creating a, the apparatus where artists get paid from um, their works. 
So. Right, and then, then, then the longstanding criticism from the labels, and again, you were one of the people making this criticism, was you're not giving us enough money from ads. And by the way, you're not, we don't really have control over our stuff. You say we do. We don't really have control. If we want to take stuff down, we can't really take it down. When you ran Warner Music, you guys took your music down for a year. Eventually said it's too much of a pain to keep it off. Well, we're going to go back on. So, listen, a lot of people um, remember when I took that stance at Warner. Yeah. Just so you're clear and you actually have the facts, yeah. it was before they cleaned up YouTube. So... It was hard to get high CPMs um, for advertisers that one second would get a cat video and the next second would get a Jay-Z video. So my biggest beef with them was that they needed to separate the those two parts of their store so they could— There's a clean, well-lit place and then there's everything else. Clean, well-lit place that um, advertisers feel comfortable— uh, to come and and participate in in this beautiful platform, that was my problem. Yeah. My problem was that I was I had a lot of premium content that wasn't getting the proper CPMs. So just so everything we, has context, yeah, yeah. right? But let's here let's let's tease you out of it in your history. To this day, you hear people in the music business saying, "We you know look this the free stuff is not adequate." We're not getting enough money. May from I it. interrupt yeah, yeah. you? Of course you can. It's your podcast. Your ads, the ad-supported business. You keep saying free, but you're you're paying with your eyeballs. You're looking at advertisement. Okay, so it's too easy to just say free. Okay, you're paying with your eyeballs. So go ahead. What's the question? The ad-supported business. Thank you. Is not. You're a quick learner, by the way, Peter. Slow. I'm going to get there, is not generating enough money for us, the content owners. And so, again, just to, to, to bring us all the way back to the beginning, the idea of YouTube music in, the, in last year's incarnation and then the one today is to find other ways to supplement that with subscription That's money. correct. Okay, just good. like when you decide to get on a plane, you like to see two engines, one that's ad-supported and one subscription. This podcast is a free podcast. You do not have to pay for it with dollars. You would like it if you would listen to this uh, sponsor who you can hear from right now. Good? Absolutely. I adore this sponsor. Hang tight. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. We live in a world that's creating AI-enabled everything, a world with more IoT devices than people. Today, technology has never been smarter. But smart only matters when you put it to work where it matters. When we put smart to work, we can help save species, increase crop yields, and make progress, not just for a few of us, for all of us. So let's get to it. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com slash smart. What an incredible sponsor. Great taste for them to support you in this podcast. I agree. Right, Golda? Okay. That's, we're leaving that in the podcast. We're back here with Leo Cohen. Um, and Peter Kafka. And Peter Kafka. In your, your entourage My here? click. Click? That's the new term? That's an old term. Um, are you surprised that it has taken the music industry to 2018 to have a significant subscription business? I'm not surprised. Good things take time. Yeah. How long did it take for you to figure out that that would be a good business? To replace the CD business, which went away, and then the paid download business, which went away? Listen. When did it click for you? Just so you understand that even me, 
And I'm one of the fastest people to try to fix things when things are going well. Even me always has a little spuches when there are new models that are cannibalizing models that are paying the bills. So I would be a liar to say that I didn't have spuches. But I understand that the that we it's um um, media is transforming. And the fact that you could have a smartphone and this could be your record store, your personal record store, is so sexy and so great, such an incredible value for consumers that thank God the CD is dead. Um, I'm sure there's some wonderful people who have CD collections, I suggest you throw them out and make some room for some furniture or other things. I don't think anyone listening to this has a CD collection. But I I just feel like, wow, this is such an incredible opportunity for me to engage with music just in my smartphone, and it's just fabulous. So... I think this is a, just a really healthy time, understanding that old methods that actually paid the bills and paid your employees. You know, when you're running companies, it's not just, you know, a spreadsheet of people. People have families. And so you're constantly um, catching another vine and having to leave um, uh, be in one moment of suspension. I was che- I was checking my phone because I want to pull up a quote from one of your one of the articles I was looking at. Um, all the bad behavior and excess in the music business can be traced to the CD. What do you mean by that? Uh, so the CD made um, mere mortals think that they were geniuses because it got everyone to rebuy. Basically, yeah, all. they're rebuying, and because a lot of these companies were run by foreign multinationals, they didn't do the due diligence to understand that the um, tidal wave of cash was repurposing old masters. So you have 15 years, mid-80s up through 1999. And man, they had private planes that they didn't turn off just in case they were coming back earlier. They had football fields for offices. That's not the music business. The music business is, you know, when Amit and Jerry opened up their office above Patsy's. Uh, it's when uh, Chris Blackwell opened up his office at 4th and Broadway. Okay, it's understated. It's the money went into the recordings and the signings of the artists, not the excess insane behavior. But you wrote that up, that, you, that was beneficial to you the first half of your career. Absolutely wrote yeah. it up. Uh, we were hugely um, uh, beneficial. You actually didn't do your research because my first bosses were Polygram. Yeah. Polygram was owned by Philips. Philips was the people who invented the CD. Yes. And, gotcha. and so... Um, yeah, that's when they gave Alan Levy the thumbs up to go and start buying all of these impresarios and giving them a huge multiple. Jerry Moss and Herb Albert, A&M, 
um, Chris Blackwell and Ireland, Motown, you know, so because they saw that the CD was going to be a very big boom. They also, behind Alon Levy's back, sold to Edgar Broffman because they realized that that was the perfect master and then the internet. Um, yeah, they figured it out yeah. a, little, little, a little ahead. Yeah. So, so now we fast forward and now we're, we're in a streaming uh, business and it seems like we're replacing a lot of that money that's gone away uh, on the economic side that works out. What, what does it mean for an artist who for decades of the paradigm was put eight to 10 to 12 songs together, release them every couple of years, that's how you make your. That's how you do your work. Now we're in a world where you do a song at a time, or you tell me. How are you, how are artists thinking about putting out music today? Remember that this was a singles business when it started, and someone said, "Hey, if we pour more oil and wax, we get a bigger uh, record, and we could sell it for more." So, I think that artists have an opportunity to be liberated from the album. Certainly, there are artists that an album contextual storytelling that is still going to be important. But for the most part, this is a liberation moment that artists could actually go into the studio tonight and tomorrow put it around the world. I have one idea. This is my idea. Enjoy yes, my idea. Instead of, because there was that period where if you had a great single, then you that you would actually try to sort of limit its distribution because you'd want to get people to buy the whole album. Yeah. And you'd end up with a lot of consumers who were unhappy buying 15 songs when they wanted one. This is better for the consumer. And you're saying Not it's better for the artists, Not that friendly to too. consumers, right? Yeah, we're better. Okay, we did ads. We did music. It's a weird thing to interview a lyric on, but it is what well, I expected, Peter, tell me, tell me, what do you think of the Yankees these days? I'm not a Yankees fan. What do, what do you think of the Giants these days? Nope. I tell you, Minnesota Timberwolves. Timberwolves? Yeah. I'm disappointed, but I kind of think they're going to be stuck for a while. Okay. I think it's hard to recruit uh, All right, uh, Let me change subjects before you get upset with me. I'll get upset with you. Um, want to tell me about the Kanye West photo that you were in? Mm-hmm. You, Lucian Grange, Kanye West. Um, I, I'm such a nerd that when I saw that photo, I said, oh, that's interesting that, that Kanye is with, with Lucian and Lior. Mm-hmm. What everyone else said was, oh, this Kanye West wearing a uh, Make America Great Again hat. Um, how did that photo come about? So Kanye said, listen, Lior, I'd really love for you to come to the studio and listen to music. And I flew down, listened to his music. I had such a lovely time spending um, part of the afternoon with him. What did he play for you, the songs that he subsequently put out? He played a bunch of music for me. Yeah. Incredible music. And he showed me his facility— a, it's a stunning facility of fashion and all the other businesses he's in. And I was so excited about the music, I forgot that I had to go to the bathroom. So I said, listen, I need, really need to go to the restroom. And I got up, went to the restroom. And there in other part of his office was Lucian. And Lucian was waiting uh, I, I understand for well over an hour, and I didn't know. And I said, Lucian, let's, let's what's ex- going let's on? Let's explain. Lucian runs Universal. Yes. Lucian is, is Sir Lucian Grange. He's a knight of the royal court. So he's waiting on and you and Kanye. And he's the 
chairman CEO of Universal and Kanye's having him wait. And I didn't realize that. And I said, Lucien, and I needed to go back to New York. So I said, hey, Lucien, I've had a lovely time. Let's um, um, switch places. And Kanye was going to the restroom at the same time and said, hey, guys, let's take a photo. We took a photo and I'm running through the airport and no less than 50 people commented to me about his hat, Kanye's comments, et cetera. People in the airport are coming up to you? Or yeah, at the airport. You? They at recognize the airport. you from the photo. They recognize me from the photo. I'm already recognized, but that time I realized, wow, the power. I had no idea that he was posting it. I had no idea that he was wearing that hat. I had no idea about anything. Um, and listen, I got a lot of bad feedback. And, you know, it was my, my son was hugely disappointed with me. My mother wouldn't speak to me for a week. Do you think this this episode he's had where he's tweeted what he's tweeted, do you think he recovers from that? Do you think America's cultural memory is short enough that when he comes back, if the music is good, that, that he gets back to being Kanye? Or do you think he's so, crossed some path? So this is how I say. First of all, I'm disappointed in his views, many of his views. I'm not disappointed about him calling out what's happening in Chicago. Uh -huh. I'm not disappointed about it. But I could say, this is what I want you to understand and many of your listeners to understand. Being an artist is painful oftentimes, okay? Um, choosing to be an artist and creating art is often done by people that, are, that suffer things feel things in different ways, don't enjoy the art and not understand that artists have to go through really difficult moments that are also exacerbated with the social media era, okay? Imagine that, imagine Vincent van Gogh having to um, be living under a magnifying glass of social media. What I'm saying to you is to be an artist is hard, period. To be an artist, and, the, and there's a lot of suffering that an artist has to go through. Yeah. So understand that and understand that these are the things that I think Kanye, Kanye I don't think has reconciled the pain that he has endured from the loss of his mother. I don't think that he's come to grips with it. Do you think he has to participate in social media? Do you think a popular artist has to be in social media? Or is there a way to just put out your work and then go back to doing what you're doing? I, I think there is a way of doing it. And I keep encouraging Kanye to lead with the music and to keep the music as part of the front center of his conversation. And he said, are you telling me to shut up and dribble? And I said, no. I have too much respect for, to say that to you. What I'm saying to you is that don't de-emphasize your music. Your music is the reason why so many people are riding with you. So the fact, if you make it a footnote, I think that's problematic.
I was talking to a record executive prior to this. He said, well, no, this part of the job now is going on Instagram or Facebook. I don't believe that is. for a second. No, so there is a way to just make well, music. Well, and, you and just mentioned uh, Childish Gambino. He yeah. doesn't do that. I don't think so, yeah. So He tweets occasionally. It, a blue moon. Yeah, yeah. A blue moon. So there's a way to do it. Speaking of record executives, this is a discussion we often have um, when I talk to someone in the music business. What is the point of a music label today? We have YouTube, we have Spotify, all of you guys have amazing distribution services. Um, why does Kanye or Childish Cambina or anyone like that need to work with a record label? Why don't they just work directly with you guys? A record label is so necessary. It's necessary on a whole host of things that take another podcast to explain. But curation, support, artist development, capital, I think that having a great support system, great manager, great label, allows an artist that's already in a challenging industry to focus on their craft. It's like um, when you watch the Warriors play. Yep. Um, Steph Curry is not sitting underneath the basket trying to get rebounds. Everybody's playing their position that makes that team a successful team. And I think that if you take a look at the history of successful artists, they're really dope. They have great managers and awesome labels. So I think that the uh, ecosystem is really important. When I interview you and I want to run a photo of you next to the interview, I go, and there's a great picture of you flipping the camera off. You're standing next to Chance the Rapper. Chance the Rapper doesn't have a label. He works directly with YouTube. It seems like it works for him. It seems like we could have lots more of those deals. Just, just so you understand, when Chance won that award, he said being independent is not being alone. And I love that. I thought that was a beautiful statement. But you can you can create your own support system. It's different than working with the sure, label. Sure, sure. Everybody's got. That's what's so great about this era. This is we're entering the golden era of the business. It will not get activated until the empresario comes back. What do I mean by an empresario? Is the unemployable right now? The infrastructure of the label community is run primarily by career employees. There are the Ahmed Erdogan's, the Chris Blackwell's, um, the Russell Simmons's, the Rick Rubin's, the Jerry Moss's and Herb Albert's that are out there that are now going to team with capital that are going to help shape the golden era of the business. And... They are now entering the business, and that will be a beautiful time for the industry in general. And you need those guys in the labels, or you just need them no, in the business? No, in the business. And you think, the business. You think they're, they're out there, but up. they're coming up? Yeah, they're going to team. Capital now is not scared about investing in recorded music. This is, you look at the Goldman Sachs or the Morgan Stanley reports, this industry is about to go off the hizzy. Now, Maybe you could just tell your um, listeners um, what that means by it's off like the going hizzy. off the chain, but even better, right? Yeah, it's one of the first times I interviewed you. You said getting some DAP, which I always enjoyed mm. learning about. Um, you've been in this business since the early '80s, yes, sir. 
you're older now. Um, do you ever worry that that it is going to be harder for you to understand the next wave of artists, the next please, form of art? Please, please, That's a no. Hell no. Okay. When I brought Ahmed Erdogan back to Atlantic when he was 79 years old, he could outsign any of my young A&R people. That's why I did it. I think, you know, we're not supposed to dunk. We're supposed to listen. As long as you stay curious and open, you could be a great record man. You said something else smart to me one of the first times we talked. I said, it seems like hip-hop doesn't really age well, that the, someone who was big in the early 80s isn't going to make it. And you said, no, 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 Jay-Z. I right. said that? Yeah. Wow. Yeah. I'm such a clairvoyant, aren't I? <laughs> Listen, this was, this was 2002-ish. Well, that wasn't really? a heavy lift. Let's try a, another proclamation. So when I see you in yeah. 10 years, we who's, could— who's, who's, Who is uh, of the existing— Superstar firmament is going to be a big deal in 10 years. Who's going to continue to be a big deal in 10 years? I think the curiosity, I, I, I like seeing curiosity. And remember, the point guards that we remember are the ones that use both hands, right? Mm -hmm. They could go both ways. You're bobbing and weaving while yeah. you're talking. I like it. So I think. Give me a name. I think Kendrick is someone that I believe is, you have to not be frightened to. It's about your ability to take risks. You see, I believe a huge artist is like a tour guide to their audience. And if you keep taking them to Rome, they're going to fire you. So you have to show them different, they are relying on you to take them somewhere, to give them other experiences. So if you're just a, a, a rapper that um, doesn't grow, doesn't try new experience, meet new people, um, bring more to the subject matter, then they're going to fire you. Do you have that itch? Do you say, boy, I'd like that. YouTube stuff's cool. And I, I, I get curious. to watch this thing. But do you, I'd like to get back into bringing artists back to the, to the, I'd like to, I'd like to find cool people and expose them to the world. That's, yes. That's, that's my, what you're doing now. That's my love. That's what I love. Do you doing. think you'd go back to doing that of sort of course. as a, a full-time job? Of that's, course. You're going to do that someday. hundred percent. hundred percent. So this is a temporary gig for you. That's accurate. Well, there, did we just break news mm -hmm. or no? Well, I mean, everything's temporary. That's very wise. Should we leave it there? Absolutely. Lear Cohen. You're Peter great. Kafka. Tell your friends. Tell a dozen of your friends. Go if you don't have a dozen friends, find a dozen friends. Thank so you, what, Peter, for your time. Happy. Thank I you. I appreciate it so much. YouTube music. Oh, do we get a free, by the way? Is there a free? Do, can, you, can you get YouTube music you, for free? Excuse me. Excuse me. Can we stop with the free? Is there a limited time promotional offer for YouTube music? <laughs> Yes, says TJ. Okay. Thank you, Lior. <laughs> Thank you. Thanks to you guys for listening. I hope that is high energy enough for Golda and Lior Cohen. Who else do we thank here? We thank our sponsors, Cadence 13 and Vox Media, who bring those sponsors to you. Jelani, Jarrett, Golda, Eric, my whole clique that helps produce this. Thanks to you guys for listening. Remember, this is a free product, despite what Lior Cohen says. We're not actually asking you to pay anything. We would like you to tell your dozen or so friends, however many friends you have, tell them about this podcast. We appreciate it. Thank you in advance. 
We'll see you in a couple of days. Today's show is brought to you by IBM. By 2050, the world population will reach nearly 10 billion and food production will need to grow by 70%. Farmers are working with IBM and Watson to help increase their crop yields. Let's put smart to work. Find out how at ibm.com smart.